Okay, so one of the things that I've been trying to get for you, uh, No Spin News uh, listeners on the radio and watchers on the firsttv.com and uh, all of our other uh, affiliates, is somebody who was there, who has seen what's going on uh, in the Ukrainian theater, and that includes the refugees. This is an organization called World Central Kitchen. It was founded in 2010 by Chef Jose Andres. It provides meals to poor people and people in need all over the planet. Very fine organization. One of the members of that uh, organization is the mayor of Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey. Nice town on the Jersey Shore. All right. His name is Paul Cantera, and he comes from us. He comes to us now from Point Pleasant. So, Mayor, tell us what you were doing. You were in Poland, I understand, correct? Yep, uh, we were right on the border at Medica and at the Refugee Center in Shemesh, uh, a few other places as well. And what did you do there? Well, Bill, we went over there in the real early days right after the unprovoked Russian aggression, and we started seeing the refugees streaming across, uh, decided to just buy a plane ticket. Uh, the town that I'm mayor of, Point Pleasant Beach, we have a, a tremendous amount of young Ukrainian adults that come into our town every summer and help operate our rides and attractions. Uh, So this was a a way for us to kind of pay it forward a little bit. We rented a big passenger van, went over there, uh, five suitcases of supplies, $15,000 to go buy more uh, in donations. And while we were over there, uh, we got uh, set up with World Central Kitchen and helped uh, give out meals on the border, as well as helping prep food and understanding their operations a little bit better as well. Okay, so what did you see that affected you? It's hard not to be affected over there, right, with, uh, you know, close to two million uh, Ukrainian refugees already streaming through Poland, uh, which makes up uh, about a 20th of the whole country's population already in terms of Poland. They simply don't have the resources to handle this. It's it's just a a mass swarm of humanity coming across that border, uh, many of whom have uh, no place to go, no resources to take care of them. And uh, they need to get settled into the refugee center and then pushed on to other points throughout Poland and Europe because uh, cities like Krakow and Warsaw have already signaled that they're completely filled up. Uh, But when you look at uh, how disproportionately uh, the the population coming across is women and children and elderly, there's virtually no men of fighting age in the group. Uh, it really brings thing ho- things home as well. And they're looking for things like toys uh, and coloring books and, you know, Barbie dolls and things like that to make things a little bit easier. Yeah, to give some relief to the children. Um, where do the refugees sleep uh, when they come over? Are there tents? Uh, where do they go? It's heartbreaking. Obviously, it's really cold over there right now. It dips down into the teens at night. Uh, they have an abandoned Tesco super center, which is basically like a Walmart, and they've hollowed it out, and people are just sleeping on the floor, sleeping on cots that have been brought in, sleeping on blankets. They're covering every square inch of that, them, their children. There's pets running around. It's, it's a really surreal scene, uh, and uh, they don't necessarily have everything that they need there as well. Is the American Red Cross there? I mean, who are the agencies in charge? The Polish Red Cross is there, and they have uh, good operations. They have a a tremendous amount of volunteers, uh, people that are coming in that need medical assistance are finding it pretty readily. Uh, There's some groups that have donated some clothing as well. And obviously, World Central Kitchen, as soon as they cross the border, 
uh, they're putting a, a hot meal in everybody's hands. Um, did you speak to the Ukrainian refugees? I mean, you know, yourself and if so, uh, what did they say? We did speak to them um, and kind of spanned the entire gamut. There's a lot of disbelief amongst the Ukrainian refugee population. A lot of them think that they're going home in a week or two weeks. Uh, but if you look at what's going on in some of the, the cities on the eastern side of Ukraine and the southern part of Ukraine, where you know all of the apartment buildings have basically been bombed and are destroyed, there's going to be such a massive, uh, you know, decade long or, or longer rebuilding effort. These people who traditionally don't really speak any language other than Ukrainian, they don't speak English, they don't speak Polish, they don't speak any other European languages. They're going to have a really difficult time trying to resettle and restart their lives in someplace completely new. Uh, but uh, speaking to some of the orphans, uh, you know, there's a, a group, Caritas, that's trying to resettle them uh, throughout Europe. They are completely shocked. They don't know what awaits them. Speaking to some of the, the elderly people uh, who have left, you know, men of fighting age behind, uh, they're scared for them as well. It, it's just so much uncertainty and so much sadness. And what really struck us, to be honest, was how similar they are to Americans. They're middle class people who were living normal lives, believed that Putin was just saber rattling a couple weeks ago. And now they have one travel suitcase with them. And, uh, and it's all changed in the blink of an eye. How do they get to Poland? Uh, how, is that, how are they transported from Eastern Ukraine, Central Ukraine to the Polish border? So there are still, as of when we were over there, there's still trains running, especially from Lviv to Medica. A lot of them arrive at the main uh, train station in Shemish. There's buses that are transporting orphans. There's buses that are transporting refugees. A lot of them are driving, even though there's massive fuel shortages over there. So a lot of these cars are breaking down along the way and people are literally walking. Uh, you know, the lines at the border can be a, a day long or longer uh, to get across. And as cars are running out, people are simply abandoning them and walking across. It is unbelievable that this is being caused by one man and one man only. You know, usually it's governments and this. But it's so yeah. similar to Saddam Hussein. I was on a Hannity radio show today talking about the similarity between what happened in Iraq and Kuwait and Saddam and Putin, how they're really the same evil person. Um, the Ukrainian people, as you pointed out, you say middle class, but middle class in America, they, you know, it's a different connotation. They don't have a lot of reserve. Right. These people have a lot of money in the right. bank. Right. So right. What, when they show up in Poland, that's what they got. All right. And so yep. now we're talking about, I'd say, about four million displaced people over the border and another six million within Ukraine itself. So this is a catastrophic uh, occurrence in, in a violation of human rights to the extent that we haven't seen since the Third Reich and Stalin in Russia. Do you think do you see anything more the United States could do? So one of the interesting things over there is obviously there's large uh, Russian populations in those areas that are really under major attack right now. And it's galvanized both the Ukrainian uh, individuals and the Russian individuals. They're all equally upset at Putin for what for what he's doing. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, enforcement of a no fly zone. Uh, the MiGs were a big issue as well in terms of, uh, you know, how they could find a way to get those into 
uh, Ukrainian fighter pilots' hands because they still, Russia still does not obviously control the airspace over there. And money and assistance is what's really needed uh, because there are a lot of people who, the, the term that we heard over and over again, are staying until the bitter end. Yeah. Uh, and they're not going anywhere and they're going to need some money and resources. It's an ongoing thing. Absolutely. So tell us how people can get in touch with World Kitchen. So World Central Kitchen, great organization, WCK.org. People can make donations there. Uh, we're actually hosting a huge charity concert uh, at the Jersey Shore in Point Pleasant Beach at Jenkinson's on the boardwalk. We think we're going to raise close to a quarter million dollars and we're going to split it up uh, amongst World Central Kitchen, the Polish Red Cross and Caritas Poland that's helping a lot with all the orphans and the refugees. And when is that concert going to be? April 10th, 5 to 9 p.m. All right. We want everybody to try to make it. If you can't, WCK. Dot com wck.com that's easy hey mayor thanks very much for appreciate it um you know if you uh get any other information please let us know and uh you're doing a very good thing and uh, thanks again for helping us out tonight wholesale prices in february up 10 percent, highest on record way to go joe no it's covid it's putin <laughs> yeah well what are you doing about it covid's over now pretty much in this country so what are you doing? Dropping a gas tax? No. Okay, so this is from the Labor Department. Highest wholesale price rise for a month on record. That means in the coming months, we're all going to pay even more than we're paying now because wholesale is what the manufacturers and the transportation people pay. Okay, and then it gets passed on to the consumer. Then it in conjunction with that, there's a recession warning, something called the yield curve. And I can't explain it to you. I'm not smart enough, but it's flattening out. When the yield curve flattens out, you're more likely to have a recession, which I think we will have come summer. But I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. Joining us now from Washington, D.C., Kevin Hassett the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Trump. So he worked on economic issues. Were you there all four years at Trump? How long were you there? Almost almost all four years. I, okay. I uh, left in the summer and then I went back for COVID. So I, I, I was some, only gone for six months of the four years. I have some bullet questions. So in the four sure. years of Trump, no inflation, right? Correct. Why? Uh, Basically, supply and demand kept up with each other. Uh, Trump had supply side tax cuts and deregulation, and that meant that there were lots of new businesses, small businesses, new factories brought back to the U.S. And so there was plenty of supply. And when there's plenty of supply, then the suppliers compete for your demand, and that keeps the prices low. What Biden okay, has that done makes is sense to me. I under- more. Right. Excuse I understood me? that, Kevin. Did, don't don't <laughs> now kick your coverage here. Just keep it keep it in my zone. I understand I that. Come on. Okay. Yeah. More competition for products drive prices down. I got it. Okay. Yeah. That's number one. Number okay. two, under Trump, the Fed was printing money like crazy because we were spending money. Donald Trump is a big spender on the military and other things. Okay. So the Fed was printing a lot of money, but inflation still didn't go up. Same reason, right. supply and demand. 
there's a big difference between that and, and I promise not to kick it more than 45 yards on this one. But what's basically happened since Biden's been in office is that he's been printing checks and mailing them to people and the Fed has been financing that. And so it's like you're dropping cash from a helicopter onto the economy. Uh, and when you do that, then prices go up because everybody's got more money in their pockets. When Trump was doing it, remember, because of Fauci, unfortunately, the economy was shut down. So people didn't necessarily have a paycheck. And so when the government mailed the money, it was just filling a hole. And so Trump filled the hole. Uh, Biden gave you money, even though the hole was filled and you were back to normal. And so that's when the helicopter drop happened and inflation got out of control. OK, now. Um... Do you believe that Joe Biden understands the last two answers you gave me? Does he have any idea about macroeconomics? No, I don't. I don't think he does. How about the people around him? He doesn't really have a macroeconomist uh, in his team, except for Janet Yellen. And, and I think that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Bill O'Reilly read some of her writings and then talk about it because it feels like she's been, you know, rehashing Democratic talking points rather than giving sound economic advice. And that's one of the reasons we're in this mess. Well, he, he won't even acknowledge the rise in gasoline about the simplest economic equation we can give the folks of a, more than a dollar in his first year without Putin. OK, so, I mean, is he going to blame COVID for that when Trump had that, too. And, you know, there was plenty of supply of oil uh, when mm -hmm. Biden took over. Right. You guys were the supply yeah. of oil and gas and, and everything was about right up to here when Trump left office. But as soon as Biden came in and slapped all the regulations on the industry, the supply went down. Correct. Yeah, that's right, Bill. And, 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 you know, the other thing is, having been in the Oval with President Trump and in the Situation Room and everything, one of the things that Biden has said that annoys me the most and angers me the most is he's kind of like saying, look, it's not my fault, it's Putin's fault because he went into Ukraine. But Putin went into Ukraine because Biden is so weak. And so even if you take the Putin argument, you know, then, then you should still say it's Biden's fault because there's no way if Trump was in the White House that Putin would have gone into Ukraine. But Mr. Hassett, I have to point out that's your opinion. That's not a provable yes. fact. Okay. That's true. Now I hold the same opinion that you do, but I can't put it forth as fact because Putin, I think, is unstable. I don't think he, you know, I don't think Putin's going to come out of this very well. But that's another opinion. But I want to stay in the factual zone here because okay. what Biden is telling the world and the American people is. Hey, I don't I'm going to have no responsibility for this bad economy here. I don't have any responsibility for the rise in gas and food prices. And that is a factual lie. It, it's just a lie. Right. You're, you're right about that. And, and it's the same thing that uh, President Obama did. You might recall they told us when the economy was terrible that it's the new normal. It's, they use these fancy words, secular stagnation. But they said it's the new normal. The economy can't grow fast ever again, and it's not our fault. And so once again, we have Democrats in the White House, and the economy's not doing so well, and they're once again claiming it's not their fault. But at some point, that pattern, I think, will be recognizable to uh, you know citizens, and they'll do something about it. And here's my most important question of the week, I think, not just the night. So I think there's going to be a recession right. as uh, companies right. now are feeling the pain because they have higher costs across the board, including higher salaries. 
because the workforce is shaky. There aren't, aren't enough employees. We're looking for people at BillOReilly.com now, editorial people. I mean, it's not easy to find them. So, I, you know, if you, if you have to spend more, more money on uh, employees, on products, then you got to cut someplace, someplace else. So do you think there's going to be a recession? Yeah, I think there's going to be a recession, and I think it's going to happen because the Fed isn't going to control inflation with the tiny little interest rate hikes that it's going to give us over the next you know, five or six months and that they're going to have to really whack the economy. And so the summer might be a little early, but by next January, sadly, you know, I, I think that we're likely to have a recession. And, and here's a couple of things that are facts, not opinion, uh, Bill, to, to stick on the table. Fact one is if you look at what's happening at the gas pump and uh, at the grocery store, then in March, when we get the inflation numbers for March, they're going to be like maybe up about 2% or up about 20% at an annual rate. And so it's going to be the highest inflation that we've seen any time in the post-war period for March. And so with inflation that high, there's an enormous amount of pressure on the Fed to do something. But what they, the only thing they can do is to raise interest rates. And the history of this is that inflation doesn't start going down until the interest rate is higher than the inflation rate. That's like a very regular pattern in the data. Again, that's just the truth. There's no way the Fed's going to lift the interest no. rate to 10%. But until they do, inflation's going to stay a serious problem. That's really depressing. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. It really, it really is depressing because, yeah. I mean, people, a lot of Americans, they don't have a lot of reserves. And the only good news is that Biden and the Democratic Party are going to get their butts kicked in November. It has to happen. I mean, Americans are just going to go enough. We don't care who it is. We don't want you. And I, I think that will happen. And that might actually help um, the price stability and, uh, and the economy if the Republicans get in a position of power in Washington. Final question. Um, if you are right and a recession kicks in, so America then becomes weakened on the world stage because it, the stronger our economy is, the stronger our nation is. And so where do we find optimism here? Okay, where do we, the people, find optimism? Obviously, 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. They all, every single one of them, made a mistake in doing that. All right, but now we have to recover. Can we recover quickly? Right. You, you know, Bill, I, I, I hope I can come back and we can talk for a long time about this. But briefly, what I can say is people need to know that this is an easy problem to fix if you understand it. Uh, you understand it. I understand it. If there was somebody in Congress and in the White House that knew how to, you know, what to do, which is like be friendly to supply, be friendly to small business, increase supply. If you do all that, then you can get ahead of the curve on inflation without causing a recession. And the last thing I want to say, just because I know that there are a lot of people that are watching that might be worried about this, is the people on Social Security, people on fixed incomes, you know, thank goodness those checks are adjusted for inflation. So I know that there's a lot of pain from the inflation, but our senior citizens on fixed incomes getting Social Security, their checks are going to go up because of this inflation rate. And so, you know, they, they shouldn't panic about it. Uh, okay, that's nobody one should good panic. thing about policy. Uh, real yeah. quick, would you, re would you suspend the federal gas tax now to give people immediately relief? I, I, that's not my first thing, but I would do that, yeah. The, the first thing I would do is basically allow, right now ships aren't allowed to, to move U.S. oil from city to city within the U.S. because of this crazy thing called the Jones Act. So the first thing I would do is let Americans buy U.S. energy and try to expand U.S. energy. That'd have a big positive effect. Yeah, just take all the regulations for six months off this uh, insane attempt to get us off 
fossil fuels. That's a given. But I, I don't know why Biden's not dropping that, dropping that federal gas tax. I mean, that would do him good if he did it. But again, I, I think you're correct in the top of the interview by saying he doesn't know what the deuce is going on. And that's really depressing. Mr. Hassett, we'll definitely have you back. Thank, we'll, you, in fact, I'm going to anoint you our go-to economic guy. Um, it was very <laughs> good. And if I can understand it, then I know you did your job well. And thanks for helping us out. We appreciate it. Thank, thanks. It's okay. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 Remembrance Across America, over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. All right, so joining us now from Hamburg, Germany, is Dr. Aaron Rhodes. He's a human rights advocate, senior fellow in the Common Sense Society. I wanted to get, Doctor, your view from Europe. Um, there's low-level hysteria here because of the rising gas prices and the falling stock market in the USA. What's going on over there where you are? Well, Bill, I'm an American citizen, and I you know, for me, Germany is sort of a pit stop. It's like a place to live and I'm, I have my family here. So I'm really not such a good person to give up a, a good gauge of uh, German public opinion or political uh, movement. But it, it seems to me that life is the same here. I, I don't notice any uh, hysteria. There's no panic buying in, in, in grocery stores. There's, there's what there is, is however, which is interesting, is it a major change of, of public opinion as regard Russia. Um, the government has done a complete turnaround in their policies. Uh, they um, are realizing that energy dependence on, on Russia is, is a bad thing. And they're realizing that uh, they're, they have been underpaying their uh, defense spending. They have, they, got, they, they have now pledged to bring up their, their defense spending uh, as part of NATO. And these are big, big changes um, and they have occurred <laughs> very quickly. Um, and this is, this is a very, very notable. Would it be fair to say that Putin has united all of Europe against him or are there dissenters? Oh, sure, there are dissenters. Um, uh, you'll find small pro-Russian demonstrations in many European countries uh, uh, but in general, um, the, m people are outraged by this war, um, and they, they, I think uh, they didn't believe such a war could happen. So it's kind of a wake-up call for a lot of European populations. Um, the shock of realizing that uh, Give Peace a Chance and the peace movement, the Green movement to some extent, because the Green movement is responsible um, for uh, Europe's weakness. You know, it used to be, and I, I guess you know this, you, uh, 
used to be in Germany that uh, they uh, harvested a lot of natural gas on German soil. Well, the Greens knocked that out. So they have to buy natural gas from Putin. And so it, it looks like a lot of liberal um, tenants are falling by the wayside because of this aggression by Russia. Would I be wrong on that assessment? No, I don't think so. Um, but it's, you know, you have to remember that prior to this invasion, the a lot of the peace movement uh, types were taking a very pro-Putin line. Uh, this was NATO's fault. This was America's fault. Uh, aggression on the part of neoliberalism uh, and so on. I, I think there's a there's a there's a, a tendency to blame America first in a situation like this, and it's a kind of residual hangover from uh, the past. What about the media in Germany, where you are? Um, are they anti-Putin now? Like most of the media here is, not all of it, um, but most of the media in America is anti-Putin. Um, is it the same in Germany and the rest of Europe? I, I think it's becoming much more uh, anti-Putin, if you can call it that. Um, and that's what I was mentioning before. There's been a very quick change. And uh, and now the all the so-called the Putin versteers, so-called the Putin understanders, this was a kind of tendency in German German political thought to to try to try to uh, understand Putin and, and give him some credit. They're very quiet. And um, maybe they they uh, even deny that they once had those views. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad to hear all of what you're saying. Final question for you. You're a human rights advocate and you know, you're going to be looking at 3 million refugees out of Ukraine, at least before this is over, you're going to be looking at thousands of civilian deaths and, you know, children brutalized for the rest of their lives. So I don't see it possible that Putin just goes back. Even if he says, well, yeah, well, the ceasefire, I don't see if it's possible that he goes back to where he was. Do you? No. And Putin is going to come under indictment from uh, the International Criminal Court and uh, maybe some other bodies. So but why uh, would this guy do this if he if he's ruined his whole life, as I laid out his whole, you know, all the money he stole, he can't spend, can't float around on a yacht anywhere. They'll grab it. Why? I think the guy's a madman. What do you say? I, I don't think he's a madman. I think he's living in a different mental universe than we are. And, and uh, he, under, he interprets history differently than we do. And he, and he sees the destiny of his country and his own personal uh, destiny differently than we do. Yeah, but he got to know how much trouble he's in. I mean, he's even threatening, you know, now sanctions are an act of war and I got my nuke boys on it. He's got to know that he's toast. Last word. Well, I hope you're right. I hope he is. Okay, Doc. I appreciate it. Stay safe over there, Hamburg, Germany. Dr. Aaron Rhodes. So you'll remember that we had four history shows with Donald Trump. You'll also remember that beginning back uh, in the summer of 2021, the left-wing websites tried to undermine those shows. Politico was the first one. 
And it's basically they put out that the tickets weren't selling. That's how you do that. All right. That it's a bomb and Trump and O'Reilly. They're a bunch of idiots and and nobody's going to come see them. Interestingly enough, you know, of course, I put the record out of what was really happening because it's my production company. My production company produced all four shows. So I knew every second what was happening. But the, the left wing websites, they don't care. The left wing networks couldn't care less about the truth. But interestingly enough, after the shows in February, when all the accounting was in, the Washington Post wrote an article saying how much money Trump got. And it was astronomical. Nobody picked it up. Nobody. Even though the Washington Post wire goes to every newspaper in the country. Nobody. See? Now, I don't care. I was happy the shows were successful. We sold more than 35,000 tickets for four shows at, you know, a hefty ticket price. I mean, it's phenomenal in the middle of a COVID epidemic. Come on. But anyway, far more valuable than the coin, than the money, was the editorial information that flowed to the audience who came to see us. Now, some of you did, watching me right now. You got to know, you heard stuff that was amazing, that you never heard before. Now, in every show, beginning on December 11th, I asked President Trump about Putin, because I knew Putin was going to cause trouble. So we've strung the soundbites together. I think you'll find it very interesting. Roll the tape. All right, we're going to begin with Putin because Putin is obviously in the news and a very, very serious and important story. So. Thank you. Okay, guys. Let's go. We want to get a lot of stuff on the record, all right? Okay, so is Putin a dangerous man? He's a smart man. He's got a lot of energy. He's at the top of his game. And he'll take advantage of people if they let him. You know, I ended the pipeline. The biggest thing they've ever done was the pipeline. I ended it. Then they say, oh, he loves Russia. Putin even said, why do you have to keep taunting me with the pipeline? I said, I have to do it. But we had a good relationship. And nobody, but nobody ever treated him tougher than I did. He is a man that's very smart, and he will take advantage, as we should do the same thing. But. Would you be surprised if he sends Russian troops into Ukraine? Would you be surprised? Not anymore, I wouldn't. You didn't hear about this threat when I was president. You didn't hear about Taiwan, where they're sending bombers all over the place in Taiwan. They have to respect your president. They have to respect your country. You know, I never realized, obviously, being president is very important. But maybe to that extra little length, I never realized how important. Because you send a signal as president, And I told President Xi of China, you can't do Taiwan, you can't do it. I won't say exactly what I said, but you would have been very impressed, this audience. (laughs) And Putin and I, same thing. Look, when you do what I did to, with sanctions, which are the biggest in the history of our country against Russia, when you do what I did with the pipeline, he respected us. He respected us. He no longer respects our country. So I'm, I'm trying to assess Putin and Xi. Who between the two is a bigger threat to America? When you have nuclear, everybody's a threat. It's a different ballgame. There's two individuals who can order the nuclear weapons. Let let me tell you about both. I know both of them. 
even better than I know you, and I know you pretty well, but I know it's both of them even, right. even better. Uh, I would say this, both very, very strategic, very, very smart. They both love their countries. They really do. They love their countries. They were afraid of this country, of our country. They're no longer afraid. They have no fear of our country anymore. They have no fear because of the leadership. A year ago, they had tremendous respect and fear, whatever you want to call it. Today, they have none. I think they're both at the top of their game. Our gentleman is not at the top of their ga his game. But most importantly, I'm not sure he ever was. If you look back at his record, if you look back at the decisions he's made over a 40-year period, he has never we'll get been to at the top of his game. We'll get to him. Does Putin speak English? Probably. You know, uh, he... It's very funny because he'll say hello. President Xi doesn't say hello. He goes only through the interpreter, but I think he understands exactly what's happening. They all do. They're all at the top of their game. Yeah, I think Putin does. Uh, he, I've had conversations, which I think he does pretty well with it, but he never likes to do it in public. Uh, so when people say something behind his back, he knows exactly what they're saying. Yeah, he says, uh, you know. Do you believe that he is uh, capable of pulling the nuke cart out? Is Putin capable of that? You mean of using the nuke or yeah. of pulling it out? Of using it. I don't think he wants to use it. No, he's a smart guy, and I don't think he wants to use it because he knows that's the end of Russia, that's the end of a lot of things. It's really the end of the world. It's the single biggest problem we have today, not global warming. We'll all take care of global warming. The ocean will rise one hundredth of an inch within the next 400 years. You know, no. Nuclear warming, nuclear warming. So he's not unstable and you, and you don't see him as a madman. No, not at all. All right, so I have a little bit of disagreement right now with uh, Donald Trump. So I hope you, uh, I thought it was fascinating. You know, I was there and I, I watched that clip. I was watching it intently. Because remember, that was, uh, those conversations were December 11th and 12th. And nobody knew what really was going to happen. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD, Two six five five three two. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, here's a serious story. As you know, I was a high school teacher. When you're a high school teacher, the only way to control your class of urchins is to have discipline in a class. Okay? And you are not a good teacher or a value teacher to the urchins unless your discipline is fair across the board. You have to teach all the kids the same. You have to discipline all the kids the same. You have to be fair. All right? I knew that going in, which is why I controlled my classrooms. I very rarely had any trouble. I was tough, but I was fair. Tacoma, the Clover Park School District, suburb of that city in Washington State. 12,000 students, okay? Now, discipline in the Clover Park schools, not going to be based on what the urchins are doing. It's going to be based on their skin color. Roll the tape. Since this meeting, parents have been commenting on the Clover Park School District public Facebook page, with many believing the policy change would, quote, likely offer harsher punishments to white students, even if the conduct is identical to that of a black or Hispanic student. Another insanity from the progressive left. Now, you have to understand, California, Oregon, Washington State, in the big cities, all right, San Diego may be an exception, South California, but all the other big cities up the coast are crazy progressive left. L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Tacoma is attached to Seattle. Okay, so now this school board votes that if a black kid gets out of line and does something, the discipline that black student gets is not the same, is less than what a white student would get. It is called culturally responsive discipline. Now, I know I'm going to get letters that say, it's not against the law. There's no law that says high school teachers have to be fair. And all rules in a high school or grammar school or middle school have to be enforced equally. There's no law. Maybe there should be, but there isn't. These local school boards can do what the deuce they want to do. And now... In this school district, Clover Park, if you're a white kid, your punishment is going to be harsher than a minority kid. You can't run a school like that because it divides the children. It pits them against each other. Progressive loons. We are all... Americans, we are all subject to the same laws. If you are going to pervert that, if you are going to single out a group, 
no matter what group it is, for special treatment, you disintegrate the fabric of our society. Now, if I'm, I would never in a million years send my kids to any school that did that. And that's what should happen in Clover Park. Every parent could pull that kid out, put him in a private school. Private school would be happy to have him. And then they won't have anybody in the school. Even the African-American parents, is really, is that what you want? Unequal justice? Boy, just driving me crazy. You think you're going to see this on World News Tonight, Good Morning America, Today's Show? Huh? You think? You're going to see this story? You're not. That's why they get away with it. At least the Seattle local media did it. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Okay, time now for the final thought. Uh, Saturday night, I went to see Sebastian Maniscalco. You know him? The comedian over at UBS uh, in the Queens Nassau line. Sold the place out 19,000 comedians. I've never seen anything like it. He sold out Madison Square Garden two nights before. Guy is on fire. And he is hysterical. Roll the tape. Everybody's living their life through Facebook <laughs> videos. You're going to see it soon. Wedding season is just around the corner. You're going to see wedding videos from the wedding of, of this choreographed dance that the groom and the groomsman. Have you, have you seen this? Like The groom is dancing with the bride. And then all of a sudden, the lights go up. And then the bride's like, what's going on? Oh my God. And nine of the groomsmen come out and do a 12 minute choreo routine. I, I got married five years ago. I couldn't get my groomsmen to go get their tuxedos fitted. <laughs> Let alone come to my house and rehearse. The guy, he's just brilliant. He's a performance artist. And we all need laughs. Boy, do we need laughs, okay? So you can check him out on YouTube and see, you know, what he does. Um, I've seen him three times now. And I know him a little bit. He's a good guy. Uh, Chicago guy. A lot of Italian humor, uh, which I like. <laughs> and, um, but to see that crowd, 
respond to him on Saturday night, the 19,000 of them. Um, It was really uplifting because, again, we live in a very, very intense time. And that was part of the uh, Smith thing. He's so tightly wound, Will Smith. They're all out there in Hollywood, so tightly wound because their whole industry is falling apart. It's falling apart right before their eyes. They're like this. The jobs are fewer. The salaries are fewer. I mean, Will Smith, you know, he's just like, and they all are. There's nobody, you know. Oh. So if, if Will had seen Maniscalco instead of Chris Rock, that probably wouldn't have happened. All right. So it was a very enjoyable. Uh, Maniscalco did about uh, an hour 20. It wasn't a dead moment. It was just one after the other after the other. So I'm happy to give him some publicity and I'm happy he made me laugh. And if you check him out, you'll be happy too. thanks for watching us tonight. We will see you tomorrow.